0: This is the Kingdom Project. And I'm your host, Marcus Hall. We'll be in Jude 11 through 15 this morning. So, we we should know though the church addressed in this letter, okay, for review. Had already heard the apostle's message. And they believed it, right? It was once for all delivered. But now there's these false teachers they've been warned about by Paul and Peter, and now they're here, Jude saying, "Hey, I got interrupted to, to, to write about this. These are these men who have claimed to have new revelations from a higher source. They've infiltrated the church. they've rose up from amongst them. and they're causing division and conflict as they attempted to replace the original apostles' message. Okay, so, Jude 11. It says, Woe to them. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. All right. Most of us know Cain. Most of us may know Balaam, but a lot of people don't seem to Recall Korah's rebellion, it seems. Uh, So we're going to have to look at this, but notice that there's a progression here. All right. They've gone the way of Cain. And then they rush into the error of Balaam. Or they abandon themselves for the sake of gain. Right. And... They have perished in this rebellion of Korah. So there's a path they take, and there seems to be an escalation to their speed here, and then ultimately to their end. But all these men are involved in false doctrine, okay? They have departed from the truth, and this is apostasy, okay? They are apostates. So to pronounce woe against somebody means to declare a coming judgment. Jesus did this. like in all in the Gospels, Matthew and then Mark and Luke, he pronounced woes to the Pharisees and the scribes and by extension to unfaithful Israel. He's got that whole section. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe after woe after woe. All right. So we should be familiar with woe. So. Uh, well, y- yes, woe. <laughs> <laughs> so he was saying it to Pharisees and scribes, but by extension, to unfaithful Israel as unfaithful covenant partners because they went astray and they were leading people astray. So Jude pronounces woe upon these false teachers and then by ex- extension to all false teachers. All right? False teachers, and, and then, you know, we could throw false prophets in here. To me, they're one and the same. But, you know, uh, they're false. it's false, it's false, right? So first, they have gone the way of Cain. All right? So, Think about Cain's story to understand how these men repeat the mistakes of Cain. So Cain, we know, is Adam's first son. He was a man who gets in trouble with the Lord. He's sent away from the family, right? What was Cain's mistake? We'll look at it here in a second. It's in Genesis 4. But in short, Cain believed that his relationship with God was a little more than just a business transaction. That's what. That's how he saw it. Okay, Cain was going to hand over something of value to the Lord. The Lord would respond with blessing and approval. All right. So after everything, uh, before this week, you guys probably wouldn't have known this term. But this week in news, you guys should know what we're talking about. It's called quid pro quo. Okay, you guys have heard this a lot in the news this week, probably, if you're paying attention to what's going on, right? Quid pro quo, Uh, this is a favor or advantage granted in return of something, okay? And this is how Cain was viewing his relationship with the Lord. So in Genesis 4, 3 and 7, we read this. In the course of time brought to the Lord... uh, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. All right, so... Man, there's a lot. There's so much there I want to explain. (laughs) When Cain and Abel go to sacrifice to the Lord, they both bring tithes from their labors, okay? So you have to notice there, when when it... it says Abel it says, and Abel also brought, all right He brought, same thing Cain brought, but it, with it, in addition, he brings off this sacrifice. All right uh, both are bringing their tithes, Cain from this harvest, Abel from the flocks, but Abel understood by faith that more than that tithe was required. okay Abel knew somehow that a sacrifice was required to cover sin. So Abel brought both tithes and a sacrifice, okay? Cain only brought this tithe. So the Lord showed favor to Abel for his sacrifice and tithe, while the Lord didn't regard Cain's tithes at all. And this upsets Cain, right? Who is expecting their business transaction to be honored, right? The Lord was obligated to repay Cain for his gift, is what Cain's thinking. So Cain thought that his own works then could justify him in the sight of God. All right? So apostates always think there is something that they can do and they thereby per- pervert, pervert the gospel of grace. all right? They change it to a gospel of works. This is the way of Cain. The way of Cain is to think that you can somehow get right with God and become a child of God by doing something, taking some action. Right? But the Lord explains to Cain that he has no reason to be angry since he had the same opportunity to sacrifice like his brother and be accepted. All right, so this may not make sense here. So let me try to reread this, this one part in Genesis. The English does no good. But <laughs> the Lord said to Cain, hey, like, why are you angry? Right? Why is your face fallen?" When it says, if you do well, he's like, if you're not without sin, you're going to be accepted, right? That's what he's saying. And if you are a sinner, if you have sin, then it says sin is crouching at your door. But that makes no sense in English. If you're a sin, if you have sin, sin is crouching at the door. The Hebrew isn't like that. If you have sin, there's a sin offering is what it was saying in the original Hebrew. There's a sin offering lying at the door. It's the lamb of the sin offering. So Cain need only to offer the sacrifice, and then God would be Cain's master as well. But Cain never submits to the Lord's authority, right? It's a little glimpse of mercy there. He's like, if you have no sin and no need to atone for it, you're okay. But if you realize you have sin and you need to atone... There's an offering there and you can sacrifice that. But he doesn't do it. So, like Cain, they don't understand these false teachers that a true relationship with God comes only on the basis of a sacrifice for sin, for atonement, all right? And for us, it's the sacrifice, and for them, it was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, right? And without that sacrifice, no relationship, no blessing. Instead, these false teachers say that a relationship with God is like a business transaction. Okay, so it's usually I would say in today's standards, usually by an offering that they would take up or merchandising, buying of their product. Right. God's blessings can be bought. They usually have something you don't have. Right. So you need to sow into them. All right. They believe this. They teach us others this. That we give God something he wants in order to get something we want. And this is the error of Cain. It's a lack of spiritual understanding because a natural man only understands what profits the flesh. So I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but if you're constantly watching like TCT and you're glued to the screen with like Jim Baker and stuff... Like, and you give money to him (laughs) or to Lance Wallnau. Like, it's the way of Cain. Like, I have no problem saying Jim Baker is a charlatan. He's, he's, he's false. He's feeding on fear. He's trying to sell you something that you don't need. And, and, and because he's doing that, he's rich. He's always been rich because of that. (laughs) So he's gone the way of Cain. He says, you need these things, right? And now he just uses fear because he's talking about the last days all the time. So you buy food buckets and all these types of things. And also you can just get a cabin in the woods where his ministry is at because that's the safest place to be in case something bad happens. But then none of that makes sense because you're supposed to be raptured off the earth. What are you going to do with a cabin? (laughs) Right? So I'm just saying... All these people are always like, this happened, and the angel appeared to me, or I went to heaven, and they're always on these TV shows, or on these YouTube programs, and then what happens at the end? If you want to have this, spend $30, send an offering, or a gift of $30 to get the CD on how to be, like, supernatural. (laughs) That's the way of Cain. Like, I'm sorry, but this is how it happened. They always have something you don't have right they glow in the dark they're super spiritual more things happen to them because they've received revelation that you haven't received so you got to buy their product buy their stuff learn how to do it right and then two months later you're still trying to get that down and they they're on to the next thing selling their next product all right it's just how it works okay Stay away. Just stay away. <laughs> it, they are funny to watch, though. Sometimes, huh? I do watch them for entertainment. But <laughs> Jonathan Kahn, all the, like his last name should just be C O N. He's a con man. Okay. Now, Jew says because they want to be paid, then the, these men rush headlong into the air of Balaam. All right, the, the Greek war being used there. For headlong is literally the word poured. It's like poured like a river rushing downhill. All right. It's instinctive. It's natural. And it's also unthinking. Their motivation for false teaching is to gain money here. And Jews says this is repeating the error of Balaam. All right. So Balaam was this prophet of God. And like all prophets, he was supposed to serve God's people But instead, he peddled himself to a foreign king, right? One who was determined to destroy Israel. And in the end, the Lord prevented the prophet from speaking against his people. So we're going to look at the parallel in 2 Peter 2. All right. You guys remember, you can look at 2 Peter 2. There's so much in here. And 15 and 16. It says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. I think that's how you say it. Who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Y'all remember that? The donkey speaks, right? So they have eyes that are full of adultery. They're they're sinning. They entice people who are unstable. So going the way of Balaam means having greedy hearts and corrupting religious service into an opportunity to fleece the flock, to fleece God's people. So because Balaam's true love wasn't for God and for God's people, it wasn't for God, it wasn't for God's people, but it's for money. It was for money that he could make for serving as a prophet. He's turning his service into a money enterprise, all right? Money, into money, making enterprise out of it. He's merchandising. So these men teach that God demands some sort of a payment before he will, we, he will respond in blessing, right? So they demand a, a payment. Conveniently, they're usually there. You can just give the money to me, right? We'll pass the plate around, or you buy their product, or you send into their ministry. Now, I don't want that to be so broad that you just think everybody who does that is wrong, <laughs> okay? Every, that's not for everybody, okay? Please understand that. I'm not against for people taking up love offerings or for people, guest speakers and stuff like that. I don't have anything against that, all right? But we, we need to be careful of the ones who are always saying, hey, I've got this, and they preach themselves for an hour and a half. And then they want some sort of offering or something or the people who want to teach on tithing and blessing and for you to just give until it hurts. We've gone over that. Things like that. OK. And the whole merchandising thing and stuff like that. That's what I mean. I don't mean to single out every single person. You guys should know that. But I just want to make that clear. All right. So <clears throat> by by demanding this payment. Right. They end up enticing all right. They entice people into idolatry and lust because it's all for earthly wealth. All right. And it doesn't matter if it's actual money or not. It's usually some sort of earthly status or success because what happens is they emphasize their own lives, their own experiences, their own prosperity, and they use that as the marketing ploy. Okay. Okay. And then finally in this triad, then Jude explains that these men have this unbridled ambition, and he compares that to this rebellion of Korah. Now, you want to look that up later. It's in number 16, but Korah led this rebellion against Moses and Aaron when they're in the desert. They questioned whether these men actually represented God, and then they demanded to rule themselves, all right? So Moses isn't pleased about this. He warns the people not to associate with this rebellion. And Moses instructed the people actually that they had to separate themselves from these teachers entirely. And not even go to the, by their tents. Don't touch their possessions. Otherwise they would be caught up in the same judgment. And when you go and you, you read this account, it's like, it's crazy. But <laughs> the Lord comes for judgment. The ground opens up, right? We've talked about this. Like the earth swallows them. It says the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and then the earth closed over them. Do you imagine watching that? It's crazy. So the era of Korah was rebelling against God and his representatives. God's not going to be mocked. We should know that, right? So in Jude's three examples, these are like motives. They share Cain's motive, thinking fleshly, that they want to gain God's favor through a transaction. They follow Balaam's lead, seeing their services as a means for personal gain. And they have no problem whatsoever profiting uh, at at the expense of God's people. And then they share the rebellion of Korah by disputing any authority in the church and expecting that they can operate without fear of consequences. Next, Jude wants the church to have a better understanding of these men and how they operate. So he gives six illustrations of, of them from examples of nature. All right, so 12 and 13 in Jude. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, Wild ways of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. All right. So Jude says these men are like hidden reeves in these love feasts. So if you don't know what the love feast was, it was when the church did communion. It was a form of a full meal. Everyone's together. They're enjoying enjoying this meal. This feast is communion. Um, and Jude says the false teachers are there too and they are like these rocky reefs, and that that can cause shipwreck now Paul told Timothy that some reject the faith and good conscience and because of that they have made shipwreck of their faith alright so the presence of false teachers in the church is dangerous for the body alright it's like ships on the water a Christian may come across one of these men and become shipwrecked in their faith alright right. so reefs are, are lying just below the water. They're hard to see. Sometimes you can't see them at all. So like a ship that can become damaged, installed on its journey, when it hits one of these reefs, we can become damaged as well by this, their influence. And our spiritual maturity will stall out. Sometimes people even leave the faith because of this. Okay. Then Jude says they care only for themselves. It says they shepherd only themselves. All right. This is a picture from nature as of a shepherd. It's with the flock in the field. All right. But the shepherd is only caring for his own needs rather than ensuring that the flocks are fed. So feeding sheep is a common metaphor in the New Testament for teaching God's people the spiritually nourishing word of God. We know this. And this is. This is the proper and expected role of a teacher or a pastor or just a leader, right? And false teachers have a different agenda. They only care to feed themselves, yet they portray themselves as pastors or shepherds of God's people. And they are like clouds without water and they're carried by the wind. All right, so clouds, they can bring promise, right, of, of something good, especially when you've been in a drought, <laughs> Right. It's so dry here. We could use some rain. Rain is another metaphor in Scripture. It's used as God's blessing. But these men just blow in. Promising great things from God. Great blessings. And they have no blessing to offer whatsoever. They just cover up the sun. And they increase darkness. What they actually do then. Is obscure the blessing of God's truth. By all their antics and their false doctrine. Alright. So then Jude goes into a description of these autumn trees without fruit. They're twice dead. So these teachers are like autumn trees. They have no fruit. They never bring in a crop. They never produce a fruit of a a, a healthy spiritual outcome or doctrine at all. So they give no spiritual benefit, right? So they're twice dead in the sense That they don't just look dead in winter, like a winter tree. Winter trees will look dead, right? But then when spring comes, they start to bloom and all that. But they're twice dead. They look like the autumn tree, but the root, they're just, they're dead. They're truly dead. They're spiritually dead. And Jude says they'll be plucked up by the roots as farmers destroy trees that won't produce fruit. And they're also like these wild waves with foam, in this foam of their own shame, the movements and sound of waves. If you've ever been on by the ocean or on the beach, it never stops, right? You can just hear it wrong. So they have a force of energy and it's this chaos is in the foam. <laughs> so these men stir up discontent uh, w- uh, with, with people within the body and they tell us, again, like I've said, we are missing something that God has for us. And with untrained minds to the gospel and to the word, we start to consider their words as something to be heard and that we should probably listen to it because they know a secret. They have revelation, right? But the Bible teaches us that we have everything we need in the reality of what we have received in Christ Jesus, right? Right? But when we we let our minds wander away from the word of God, then we can fall for men who teach us that we need something else. They rob us of our peace. They rob us of our contentment in Christ. And their false teaching is a testimony of shame for them. So again, it's always like, it's not that you need something more. You may need to understand something better. All right. We, we spent a handful of weeks on the gospel here. You know, it wasn't telling you that I had something that you guys didn't have. It was explaining the word to you better so you would have better understanding of it. Right. But these people always say, I've got something you don't have because it's revelatory. There's no new revelatory stuff. We have it. It's once for all delivered. OK. And then Jude ends up comparing them then to these wandering stars for who the darkness has been reserved, right? Stars is an, another symbolic word here. can be used for authority or government and angels. And we've seen where spiritual beings wandered away from God and then they were into judgment there. And they were in darkness and eternal death will be the end of them, all right? So, uh, again, though, I'd like to be clear that I'm not saying that a person who teaches something incorrectly or falsely has instantly become a false teacher. All right. In the matter that Jude describes here, we, we can say they are capital F capital T. All right. False teachers. (laughs) Right. And there are teachers who can teach falsely at times. False teachers are a very specific class of men. All right. These are the ones we've been studying throughout this letter, but any believer can make an error. We're all going to do it. All right. Uh, and, and every one of us will make an error, all right, and, and and inadvertently, okay? So no teacher except for Jesus himself is perfect in their understanding of Scripture. So we can't always just be ready to be like, he, he misspoke. You know, somebody could just miss, miss, misspeak. We're like, ah, it's about teacher. <laughs> you know, like, listen to that guy. Totally messed that verse up. You know, he could have just messed up. <laughs> All right. Every Christian can teach incorrectly. That's not Jude's concern. His, his concern is that we know these certain people and to understand the dangers and the response that is re- required of us. Okay. Jude recognizes they have this evil fruit. All right. And he's saying, don't become a victim to these types of people. Don't become a victim to their doctrine or their schemes or their merchandising, okay? Don't give in to their greedy desires. Don't trust their empty promises of blessings. And don't let them rob you of your peace and your contentment of who you are and your identity in Christ. So 14 and 15, it says in Jude, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying... Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. All right. I don't know if we'll get all of this. I think I sort of made it just short so I wouldn't run over but Jude is going from these apostates now to Enoch. Alright, who's Enoch? <laughs> Do we know who Enoch is? Not much to know about Enoch. <clears throat> we know he's a man who walked with God. Alright, he is in the Bible. And he didn't die. Just didn't die. Genesis 5, 22-24 talks about Enoch. It says, Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. He just... Like, God took them, all right. So there's this, there's this book. It's called the Book of Enoch, all right. Some of the verses we've already gone over were taken from some of Enoch, from First Enoch, and now he's get, going to get into some Enoch too. Again, just like we went through the Assumption of Moses, right? He's pulling from this book called the Book of Enoch. I had a copy I was going to bring, and I forgot. Um, it's not in Scripture, right? So therefore, we don't know if it. We we claim it's not inspired, all right? There's a lot of books that aren't in the Bible, all right? There's the Apocrypha and there's the Pseudo-Pigrapha. Um, I would say the Apocrypha have more, uh, could could stand more on their own a little bit than the pseudo stuff. Um. So it's they're sort of mixed. There's some truth in there and then we don't know if the if it's myth and legend and then just lies and stuff. We don't know if it's mixed, but the 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 fact that Enoch is in Genesis and Jude is going to use some of Enoch means the Holy Spirit inspired him to use that. So these parts are true. We know that. So uh I'm not going to spend forever on just talking about Enoch. I've heard going through lessons here, people spend two hours just in the background, the history of Enoch and it's all interesting and it's really fun for if you're a nerd like me, but it plays no part in here, but I just want to tell you there is a book of Enoch. Don't, if you read it, don't put, you know, don't put it all, all all your money on that book. All right. (laughs) It's very interesting indeed, but, um, can't say it's all true. So <clears throat> let's see here these men i'm trying to look these men that was in 14 right all right um this this word also right it tells us that jude jude considers enoch uh to be similar to him and that enoch warned against apostates just as he's doing enoch walked with god all right so um, it actually says Enoch was well pleasing to God. One day he's just put in another place. <laughs> he's just gone. He's walking with God and he just walks right into eternity in God's presence. That's all I could say. I don't know. What do you say about no one's ascended except for the one who's descended, right? Well, that's a whole other thing. There's eternity, all this stuff. I'm not getting into that. But. God like God, just takes them. One day he's here and then he's not. That'd be cool. <laughs> so Enoch's removed and he's removed from the earth and he's removed before the flood. All right. So it says Enoch, he had prophesied. Enoch prophesied, which tells us Enoch was a prophet. And this prophecy of Enoch is the first prophecy that I'm aware of recorded in scripture given by a man. All right. Though it's not recorded until here. So it's nearly at the end of the, uh, of the New Testament. All right. So yes, there's a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3. But that was a prophecy about the seed of the woman. All right. Who would bruise the serpent's head. And that was given by God, not man. So this is a prophecy. Uh, that behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment. On all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is this prophecy. It's the first one recorded by man. And it's interesting because it concerns the Lord coming in judgment and it's a parousia or a coming prophecy. And the very last prophecy recorded in Scripture. It's from John, it's in Revelation 22, 20, and it says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So the first prophecy by a man in the Bible is about this parousia, this judgment coming of Christ, right? And the last prophecy given through a man is about Christ coming in judgment. So Jude wants to emphasize that the believers in the church have nothing in common with these false teachers. So Jude reminds them of Enoch. And Enoch was a man who testified by his life and his words that God knows between the, or the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. And in Jude's day, he's reminding them because something is coming, right? Because there happened to be a judgment coming upon all of apostate Israel. And in Jude fifteen, Jude says this coming judgment will fall upon men like these false teachers. So they will be condemned by both, uh, both by the ungodly things they do and the things that they say. And their judgment will take into account their false teachings and all their lies concerning God and His Word. All right. So, so knowing this, then Jude expects his readers to make the obvious conclusion. If these men are to receive punishment for what they do and what they say, then we need to see them the way God sees them. Their words will cease to be compelling. Their lies will no longer have power to deceive when we look upon them as God sees them at that moment, as condemned men. So you should understand why you should... If you know one personally, talk to them. Try to get them to know the truth. Repent, all right? If they don't, talk to others and tell them about this. But no, they are digging their own graves with their lies and what they're doing. <laughs> their, their, their reward, their blessings are now. And that's it, all right? I believe that's what he's getting at here.